Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I've had that tune stuck in my head for about three days since watching this film. I'm not entirely sure why, but I guess it's just because it's so synthy in 80s. Anyway, sorry. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode we shall be looking into The Dawn of the Mummy from 1981. As I'm sure will shock my tens of fans, the format for this episode is going to be the same as usual. First, we shall go over a little bit of the background information on the film. Then, there'll be a section on the historical accuracy. And finally, I shall review the film. Right. Let us not waste any more time. We are on a fashion shoot in Egypt, looking for the perfect place to take some photos. Suddenly, we run across some people who are robbing a tomb. Naturally, we force our way into the tomb and set up our cameras. However, little do we know that by doing so we are disturbing the dead. Little do we know that we are about to bring about the dawn of the mummy. I will just say, that bit at the end of the introduction, that wasn't just me making up a story, that's pretty much what this film is about. It's pretty ridiculous, and I will admit, I enjoyed it immensely. However, this film was actually really controversial when it came out. In the UK, it was only released in an edited version, and it's pretty noticeable they took out all of the best scenes. It was only released in an unedited version in 2003, and that's the one that I watched. Budget-wise, this film had about $500,000, which comes to almost $1.8 after inflation. The film was produced by Harmony Gold Productions, whose founding member, Frank Agrama, just so happens to be the director of the film. Funny that. 
Finally, as I did do a very tone-deaf rendition of the music earlier, I suppose I probably should say that Shuki Levy did the music for the film. Right, we will now move on to the section on the historical accuracy of the film. I will say right off the bat that this film was clearly not made to be accurate. What we're looking at here is basically a gory B-movie horror that probably put as much effort into historical accuracy as King Tut did into ballet. Though, it probably is worth noting that Frank Agrama, the director, was actually born in Egypt, so he may have known a few things here and there. Either way, the first historical problem in this film comes about staggeringly quickly. About five seconds into the film, we see 3000 BC come up on the screen, and then there's three men on horseback riding towards a village with a backdrop of the Great Pyramid of Khufu. So in terms of the Great Pyramid, that wouldn't be built for another 400 years or so. And in terms of the people riding on horseback, I've actually covered that in previous episodes. But basically, you're looking at about another 1,500 years before horses even come to Egypt. And then they were generally used for chariots and things like that. They certainly would not have been used for horseback riding, and definitely not with very modern looking saddles. We then see the pharaoh being mummified, and there are many, many problems with this, but we'll just focus on a few, I feel. Firstly, they have him being mummified in the actual tomb, when in reality he would have first been mummified in the embalmer's workshop, and then his body would have been taken out into the desert to an ibu tents, which was basically a place of purification where the rest of the mummification would be done. Part of the reason that they took the body out into the desert is because it was away from society and it was a little bit more private. Therefore, whilst he was being mummified, he would not have a load of people dorping down at his corpse, as is shown in the film. Further, they do the mummification in a single day in the film, when in reality mummification would take about 70 days. Further still, in 3000 BCE, you didn't really have mummification, as that didn't really come about until about the 4th dynasty. Further, further still, in the film, they make an incision down the centre of the stomach to remove all of the organs. In reality, they would have actually done a cut down the left side of the abdomen, I can't say that word, the abdomen, to remove the organs. Once he has been mummified, Several of the servants then bow down to his sarcophagus and the chamber fills with poison, killing them, so that they can be buried with him. In fairness, if this opening genuinely is set in 3000 BC, then that would make it about the First Dynasty. During this time, you did actually get retainer sacrifices, and it was usual for servants to be killed or maybe commit suicide to accompany their king into the afterlife. It is worth noting this only happened, as far as we know, in the First Dynasty, and seems to have died out by about 2900 BCE. The film then skips forward to the present day, where there's a massive explosion, as some tomb robbers use dynamite to break into the tomb. They then say 
that they can't immediately go into the tomb because poison is filling all of the tunnels and they will die if they enter. Realistically, poison was not used to protect tombs in ancient Egypt. From this time period, so the early dynastic period, the tombs of kings were typically just large rectangular pits dug into the desert, with a thin lining of mud brick to stop the sand collapsing in and a flat wooden roof. However, over time, the walls of the tomb grew thicker to stop thieves from tunnelling in and to support a more substantial roof. It is also shortly before 3000 BCE, with the King Hor'aha, that you start to get some evidence of a mastaba over the top of the burial chamber, which is essentially a large mud brick superstructure above the tomb for extra protection. When the thieves get into the tomb, there is a maze of corridors. In reality, tombs from this time would have only consisted of two to three chambers. Although, in the tomb of King Jia, who ruled around about 3000 BCE, a couple more chambers were added. When the fashion models finally get to the tomb, the tomb robbers basically say that they're just doing an excavation and they make out that they're archaeologists. The fashion models then take it upon themselves to force their way into the tomb and they just kind of casually walk around going, oh look, there's a mummy, oh, look at this, isn't it amazing, how quaint, and things like that. It's, it's pretty funny, I'm not going to lie. Definitely, definitely... Not ethical, though. <laughs> when the tomb robbers say that they're not allowed in the tomb and try and get them to leave, Gary, the director of the fashion shoot, claims that he's gotten permission to shoot anywhere he wants in the entirety of Egypt. Again, there's absolutely no chance that would ever be allowed. The best example of anything like this would be when you go on excavation in Egypt, you're typically given a tashreya, which is basically a pass that lets you dig in Egypt, and it also gives you access for free to a lot of sites throughout the country. However, even then, there are certain places that you're not allowed to go without paying. For instance, you still have to pay to see the tomb of Tutankhamun, you still have to pay to get into the tomb of Nefertari and Seti I, and it also does not give you permission just to wander onto any site you want and start taking photographs. I feel that these um, episodes are getting a little bit long now, so I'm just going to wrap up this section with one more point. About three quarters of the way through the film, just before everything goes insane, Rick, the main tomb robber, realises that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. He therefore theorises that the treasure of the pharaoh must be found on the west side of the tomb. I'm not 100% on his logic here, but there was actually a lot of symbolism in ancient Egypt for the sun rising in the east and sinking in the west. Basically, it was believed that the sun god, Ra, was born in the east at the beginning of every day, and as he went across the sky, he slowly grew older until he died and sunk into the west. Then he would travel through the underworld where he would have to face certain challenges and then he would once again be born in the east, grow old as he crosses the sky and then sink into the west. And it was basically an eternal cycle. I feel that Frank Agrama, the director and the person who just so happened to also be one of the writers, 
may have been aware of this to some degree and have incorporated it into the story. However, maybe with the exception of a few very passing things, this film is highly inaccurate. And it, as said at the beginning, it clearly wasn't made to be accurate either. It was made to be a gore fest, to be honest. Now we shall move on to the review part of this episode. As usual, I'll go over the parts that I enjoyed first. So, I like the fact that the film doesn't take itself too seriously and is unashamedly 80s. Maybe minus the opening scene, which always comes across as more like 70s in the way that it's filmed. Basically, I feel like this film knows what it is. It's not high art, it's a trashy B-movie horror and it kind of leans into it. I also like the fact that the film is actually shot on location in Egypt, and I feel much like with The Awakening, which I reviewed last week, once again it does add a little bit of atmosphere to the actual film. I think that this was also the first film where I can appreciate the use of dynamite in it. Normally with these films you get the quote-unquote experienced archaeologists who are quite happy just to blow up large parts of the tomb with dynamite, and it's never really explained why. Where in this one, the people who are blowing up large parts of the tomb are tomb robbers. They're not supposed to be good archaeologists, they're not supposed to be nice people, they're supposed to be greedy treasure hunters essentially, so it made sense. Further, whether it's the actual treasure hunters themselves or the fashion models, I feel that all of the characters in this film are really colourful and they all have their own traits and personalities. This may not sound like a big deal but wow so many of these films just seem to forget about that aspect and they just come across as quite boring as a result and the one thing I can say about this film is it definitely was not boring. For me, I found Brenda King, who plays Lisa in the film, to be the best actor. I found that her screams were actually very convincing, and I will admit, with some of the things she sees in the film, I'd probably act in the same way. I don't exactly have the most manly way of dealing with fear, I've noticed. Um, at one point in the film, all of the servants of the pharaoh start rising through the sand, and basically, this comes across as quite zombie-esque and looks quite cool, although I will admit it is also a bit cliched. However, I actually really like the way the mummies in this film are quite zombie-esque and they, they thirst for blood. This is a bit different from any other mummy movie that I've seen, and I can appreciate that, to be fair. I can also appreciate that a lot of the characters in the film, though admittedly not all of them, generally do come across in the way they're supposed to be represented. So, for instance, Gary, the director of the fashion shoot in the film, is genuinely not a very nice person. At one point, he's quite happy to leave one of the models stranded in Egypt and just go off without her. So, he's, a, he's the least likeable person in the entire film, and that is done by design. I shall now move on to the areas that I liked for the wrong reasons. So basically the parts that I found funny that weren't meant to be funny necessarily. Firstly, the acting and the scripts for the film are mostly really bad, but 
in quite a funny way. So, as mentioned in the historical accuracy part of the episode, there's a whole bit where the fashion models basically just burst uninvited into the tomb, start having a little nosy around, and then they set up their cameras and start to do a little photo shoot. This whole bit, I will admit I was laughing really, really hard through this part, but just no. No, please, if you ever do go to Egypt, don't do this. <laughs> you will probably go to jail or get kicked out of the country. I also find it really funny that the two robbers are supposed to be working in secret and find it really surprising when anyone finds out what they're doing. Yet, they're making so much noise, they're literally blowing up whole sections of the tomb with loads of dynamite. When it comes to the um, the tomb robbers, I also find it quite funny that Rick, the main tomb robber, looks like a bit of an older knockoff version of Fred from Scooby-Doo. Basically, he looks like Fred if Fred had become a little bit rough and ready and turned to the dark side. Edgy Fred, if you will. This next point, I feel, probably was intentional, but I did enjoy how ludicrous the actual plot was. So, like I said, it's about a load of fashion models forcing their way into a tomb to do a fashion shoot and accidentally raising the dead. I mean, I'm sorry, but how can you not love that? It's just ridiculous. Also, I find it really funny that when the fashion models do break into the tomb, they're really surprised that the tomb robbers are trying to stop them and they just keep saying, but it's just an excavation, why can't we have a look around? I'm sorry, but just an excavation. That's literally why you cannot have a look around. The fashion models then, they literally walk into the tomb. They go, oh, look, a mummy. And then a couple of them just put their handbags on it. Like, I mean, they literally just put their handbags on the mummy. A lot of the deaths in the film are also just really weird and hysterical. So, for instance, there's this old Egyptian woman in the film. I don't think we ever learn what her name is. But when she sees that the mummy has risen from the dead, she basically goes, Oh, you're alive! And then she just goes over and hugs him and he strangles her. And that's it. That's never addressed again. That character's never seen or spoken about again. She was in about maybe two scenes before that. It's just a bit bizarre, to be honest. And, like, this is quite a common theme in this this whole film. It's almost like the film is trying to prove natural selection. Because, as another point, two of the fashion models decide to go swimming in the Nile in the middle of the night. Bear in mind, a couple of people have already died in weird circumstances at this point in the film. They go swimming... And then one of them just goes, right, I'm leaving, I'm going to go back to the camp, and they just separate. I wonder if you can guess what happens next. Do you have any clue? I think you probably figured it out. However, the best death is actually one of the scenes that was cut in the original UK release. At one point, one of the characters is cutting meat in a sort of like butcher's shop. When he turns around... And the mummy's just standing there with a hatchet and puts it through his head. When he does, you can literally see that the head is just a plastic mould. And then when the body is actually discovered, you find out that the mummy has also hung him up on one of the hooks, like one of the pieces of meat. 
honestly, this was one of my favourite scenes in the entire film, and I just found it hysterical. Now I shall move on to the parts of this film that I really didn't like. Firstly, the sound quality in this film was pretty awful, and it was quite clear that it had been made quite cheaply. I feel sometimes this can give a film a certain charm, and that is true here to a degree, but I did feel it detracted more than it added. One area that definitely didn't give any charm at all, however, was how dark the film was. And I don't mean in terms of theme, I mean physically. The film was really dark. Think the last season of Game of Thrones, in, you know, that one episode where they had the big battle in the middle of the night. I think the episode was called The Long Night, or something like that. It's that level of dark, it's just a bit ridiculous. About halfway through the film, they randomly decide to start making Rick, the main tomb robber, into sort of a relatable character, and I felt that was a bit of a weird choice considering he's being portrayed as a bad man throughout the film. I don't think that really worked. Finally, although the main mummy in the film does look okay, you know, he looks pretty good, a lot less effort has been put into his servants who also arise from the dead. And they, to be honest, look pretty bad. Yet, even so, partly because of how dark the film is, and also because the camera angles just aren't particularly good either, very often it's hard to know if the characters are being chased by the main mummy or one of his servants. So, somehow the film has managed to get the worst of both worlds. In terms of the actual reviews for this film, they were really bad, to be honest with you. In general, they either just completely panned the entire film, or they saw the first half as quite boring, but the second half as entertaining and fast-paced. In my opinion, I actually enjoyed the whole film. I I felt the first half was funny, and the second half was funny and action-packed. So, as an actual decent film, I would probably say this is pretty low. I'd maybe give it 3 out of 10, because at least it was entertaining. But... In terms of that actual entertainment value, I almost want to give it an 8 out of 10. So, I'm going to roughly split the difference and give this whole film a 6 out of 10 in total. Because I'm not going to lie, I think we all have our type of bad film we secretly quite like. And this is pretty close to the kind of bad film that I enjoy. Well, I guess I failed in keeping this episode a bit shorter. Sorry about that. Either way, thank you very much for listening. And if you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a like, uh, subscribing, maybe leaving a comment because it really does help me. But most importantly, please join me next Monday when I shall be looking at Time Walker from 1982. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.